The OHSU Board of Directors has appointed Dr. Danny Jacobs as the fifth president of OHSU. The board also extended Joe Robertson's presidency until Dr. Jacobs starts on August 1st. Dr. Jacobs comes to OHSU from University of Texas Medical Branch, where he currently serves as Executive Vice President, Dean, and Provost. It's Tuesday, May 8th, and this is OHSU Week. I'm Patrick Holmes. I sat down with Dr. Danny Jacobs to discuss his appointment. Well, first of all, congratulations. Uh, did you ever imagine yourself being named president of a university? Well, thank you very much. Uh, nope, never imagined myself being a president of a university. Um, uh, many things have happened in, my, happened in my career that I didn't imagine, but this one is sort of a pinnacle of a career in many respects. But uh, when I was coming along, um, I only wanted to make professor. So, you know, if I had a to-do or a wish list item, it was to make professor in an academic medical center or an academic health center. I imagine you get contacted frequently by recruiters. What caught your eye about this opportunity? Yes, I've been uh, fortunate. Uh, I get uh, contacted, uh, you know, occasionally. Uh, What caught my eye was the institution and its people. Here's the the backstory. So, you know, academic medicine, academic health centers, pretty small club. Um, But uh, actually, I... um, know a couple of a uh, couple three of your faculty members so Karen and Cliff Devaney uh, I knew about them moving to Oregon had a chance to speak with them when I was a resident so Karen Devaney was a um, faculty member for me at the University of Pennsylvania and they talked about the wonderful things that, that were happening in Oregon and they left the University of Pennsylvania to come here and so I read her materials materials we haven't really stayed in touch over the years uh, directly but as soon as she found out that I was a finalist I heard from them and I think that just speaks volumes about the quality of the people that are here. Now, of course, the institution's fine. Its trajectory is outstanding. There are some very innovative things that are happening here. I use the expression that uh, from every measure available externally, the bones are very, very good. So so the idea, though, of joining something where the public mission is so important, where the opportunity for impact is the whole state, is attractive to me. And, And this opportunity, therefore, stood out uh, above many other opportunities that have come my way. And then when I would get these requests, I show them all to my wife. And uh, most of them, she says, no, no, no. And when this, this one came across, probably in no small part due to her organ connection, she said, you got to look at this one. So that was the coup de grace. Uh, what is her organ connection? Oregon State University graduate. Oh, great. Spent four years here. Well, I'm sure about half of the OHSU population will appreciate that she's a beaver. <laughs> I heard that I have to be careful with that, but she'll say it. Not me. So what was your impression of OHSU before you entered into this process? Yeah, we talked a bit about that. I mean, so um, innovative, forward-looking, lots of nice things that have happened over the past several years. That new capital campaign people were talking about around the country, of course, I think that's attractive. Uh, Some significant research priorities and then some highly ranked educational programs. Uh, Rural medicine, for example, stands out. And I think the other thing that we watched across the country was – um, uh, OHSU's um, uh, success as regards patient safety. And so being ranked in the Vizient survey in the top 20 is a testament to uh, patient-centeredness, as well as trying to put everything together to improve patient care while being innovative as regards research and education. So what has been the most surprising thing that you've learned about OHSU in the past several months as you've been going through this process? 
you know, it's hard for me to find something that's been really surprising. Why do I say that? Um, I think people have been open and honest and frank from the very beginning. So I really haven't uh, had any surprises um, except for something I, I described this way. So I knew about the importance of Oregon, uh, Oregon uh, Health and Science University for the state, OHSU. But this phrase, you know, that you see in the job descriptions talking about the 96,000 square mile campus, you know, when you're first seeing or hearing that uh, or reading that, it maybe appears like a slogan. Actually, it's lifeblood. I mean, it, it's something that is front and center in terms of everything that people talk to me about. And so this idea of OHSU being vital for the state uh, and the depth of that is something that, although I thought it was deep, it is really uh, front and center. So that's very impressive. Can you tell me a little bit about your leadership style? Yes. Yeah, so, so I actually believe that modern leaders need to have a bunch of leadership styles. So I don't have one that I prefer. I think uh, if I had to you know, talk about guiding tenants, I'd say, I'm more of a coordinate and cultivate kind of person. Uh, I believe in the idea of servant leadership. So this idea of service uh, is something, again, that is important to HSU, it's important to me. So I think uh, for modern leaders, um, you need to be able to listen and learn quickly. I think the members, I often talk about the members. When I say members, I mean the, the people that are part of the institution, everyone, faculty, staff, trainees, stakeholders, community, extended family members. I think listening to them is really important. The best leaders, I think, listen before making a decision about a way forward. So this, this organic process, if you will, uh, is uh, important for leaders. Um, but so that means, by and large, I, I try to find consensus, and I, I see myself as a person who should facilitate consensus where possible. Very rarely, I'm talking about extraordinarily rarely, there are circumstances where you can't reach a consensus, but then I think it's incumbent, incumbent upon leadership with really good team members to say, well, we can't quite get to a consensus right now, but our opinion is that we must make a decision now. A lot of decisions in academic health centers can wait, but for those few where you have to make a decision right away, then I think leadership with appropriate input from the members says, well, this is what we're going to do. And then as I was talking to the search committee members and others, I said the other thing that leaders must say is when they have to make a decision like that when there isn't a consensus is we promise to look at this decision regularly and reverse course if it turns out it's wrong or completely do something different or do something completely different if it turns out it's completely wrong. So that's the style I like. That means a leader is sometimes pushing from the back as important as leading from the front. You know, it's, uh, it's encouragement, it's coercion, it's cheerleading, all those things I think are in the modern leader's armamentarium or should be. You used the term members, yeah. and, and that was something I picked up on when you yeah. were on, on campus. Could you talk to me a little bit more about why you use that term? Yeah, I, I like this idea of members, you know, belonging to something, the sense of belonging to something that's important, like OHSU, and something that is greater than oneself. And by being a member of the organization, it brings personal value, while we also try to bring value to the community and those we serve. So, you know, it references, uh, you know, being part of a team. It represents uh, family, that connection where relevant. It also brings in the idea of extended family because I think, again, here at OHSU, it's not just the folks at the university, it's in the city, in the county, in the region, in the state, and even nationally, internationally. So, you know, you can kind of take it too far, but when I talk about members, I'm talking about those people that are part of the institution and its immediate uh, community. So going back to your leadership style, yep. um, how do you think your training and experience as a surgeon influences that leadership? During training, uh, the surgeons that were most impressive to me 
were those that realized the importance of teamwork. These were individuals that would bring people in. What do I mean by that? I mean, so there is the sort of television persona that's typical for a surgeon, you know, guns blaring, you know, high stress, yelling, screaming. All that stuff was unacceptable. It's always been unacceptable. Uh, but there were folks like that in my training. The ones that were most impactful to me were the kinds of people where everyone wanted to work with them. That's what I mean by bringing them in. So they understood the value of the team. They understood the roles and responsibilities of everyone on the team. Uh, they were fair, balanced, measured uh, in their approaches. And that was uh, impactful for me. So if I've learned something uh, as a surgeon, it's hopefully been that. And how do you actually work to have everyone feel like they contribute towards something that's important? In the operating room or outside of the operating room, it's the patient. So we focus on the patient. That actually puts the focus in the right place instead of on the individual. Not that individual accomplishments aren't important, but that's something that's been important to me in my career. And it's not that teamwork doesn't exist in other areas of medicine. It was just very apparent to me. I think it sort of fit my uh, persona. But I remember as a, um, as a uh, medical student, uh, I first thought I was going to be an internist specializing in gastroenterology. And I had a great time on medicine, but there was something very different about my surgical rotation, which I actually did late in my career. So it was a traditional four-year program when I was a medical student, two years in the classroom, uh, one year in the clinic, and that one year, the third year, is when you would do your rotation. So I actually did surgery at the end, which is something the mentors don't want you to do because whatever you think you're going to do, you want to do it first so you can interview and travel around. And so I didn't do surgery until, boy, I think it was well in, past the, you know, past the halfway point in year three. Uh, and uh, actually, toward, it was the end of year three. And so I had a mad dash and scramble, but I just had to scramble to try to figure out what I was going to do in year four. And you know, go uh, tour and interview for my residency. Uh, but it was something about the right combination of people, some exposure to great faculty who uh, were interested, invested in me, and, you know, who modeled the behaviors I thought were important that pulled me towards surgery. Being a surgeon is a, is a hard job. And when you were here on campus, you also talked a lot about resiliency. Yeah. What do you mean by that? And why is it so important? Yeah. Well, I talked about, uh, you know, the importance of many of the things that we do. Quality's job one, we need to compete based on service, the importance of being innovative, the importance of serving uh, the community, our stakeholders, our patients, our trainees, our staff and others. But the third leg, uh, that three-dimensional drawing that I showed that talked about two dimensions of academia versus patient care. The third dimension was the importance of people. And so we have to take care of ourselves so we can take best care of those we serve. So if we're not thinking about resiliency, which is the ability to respond to challenges, and there are many in academic uh, medicine and academic health today, then we won't be able to serve our, our constituents, our patients, our stakeholders, our community as well. So this idea of what can we do to make sure that we have the best working environment for ourselves is what I mean by resiliency. And people have spoken a lot about you know, the ability to respond to challenges or to downturns or to events that are off-putting. It's all in there, but for me that resiliency is how do we actually um, strengthen ourselves to withstand whatever comes down the pike. And there's a lot coming down the pike in academic medicine. 
Well, speaking of, uh, <laughs> what do you anticipate being your first priority as president of OHSU? Yes, I think my priorities, uh, as, as I've talked about uh, earlier, you know, sort of defining reality, one of my favorite phrases. You know, we have to look in the mirror and, and see who we are and what we're about. Uh, and until we define where we are in space and time, you really can't chart a way forward. I believe that process of charting a way forward is uh, necessarily organic. So in order to define reality, I think my first three months are going to be spent, four months, uh, as much time as necessary, although I think the pace is going to be pretty aggressive, um, it will be to learn as much as I can by listening. Uh, and so people talk about listening tours. I think that's important. Sometimes it's just a slogan. But for me, it's getting out and about and talking to the people that know about OHSU so I can learn as quickly as possible. I describe this, uh, you know, the, the, this year one as being, and probably year five as well, a sprint marathon. So I think the, the sprint part is to learn the institution, its culture, and its people, and its challenges as quickly as possible. And then we're in it for the long haul, which is the marathon part. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Like, where did you grow up, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. what was your journey to mm -hmm. here? Mm -hmm. So I grew up in uh, rural Arkansas, um, small town about 100 miles southwest of Little Rock, 30 miles north of the Louisiana border, and 80 miles uh, east of Texas. Mom was a school teacher, um, and education was really important for us. Uh, when I was growing up, I had an older sister, and my sister was a... Uh, really good in science and mathematics. And um, the National Science Foundation had a number of uh, summer opportunities, um, learning opportunities for high school students interested in the science, in sciences and mathematics, because we were, you know, the, the worry was we were behind the Russians, and so Sputnik had been launched, and so we had to enhance STEM education. So my sister, four years older, uh, was um, doing these wonderful things in the summer. I mean, she took oceanography, and I said, this is great. I have got to figure out how to do that. Well, by the time I was old enough, uh, those programs um, were closed and they weren't available, but that planted the seed for me. And so uh, I ended up um, finishing my education on the East Coast. And then my big sister moved to Boston, and uh, therefore I said, I listened to her when she said where I should go to college. So I was college in Boston at Harvard. Uh, and then um, this academic piece, I kind of set that aside uh, for a while. I was, in, I was interested in animal behavior as a, uh, as, a, uh, as a high school student. I thought I was going to be a scientist, right? That was the thing. Uh, actually, here's a, here's a great story. So my father actually, um, we, we lived on a farm. My father thought he was a farmer. Uh, but that was an important motivator. We worked the farm while going to school. But I'm going, wow. He, he, just, <laughs> he just thought he was a farmer? Well, he had a full-time job. But then he would farm on his, you know, in the summers and uh, you know, when he was not working. So we would all get out there and help him. Uh, where I lived, the whole family lived close by. Um, I lived up the hill. Down the hill was uh, my grandfather, paternal grandfather. 100 yards away through, a peach, through peach trees. Um, my mother's father was another 50 yards away. My father's brother, uh, 100, mile, I mean, 100 yards to the, to the east. So we grew up in this very close community kind of thing. Anyhow, uh, because it was farmland, my, actually, my father built my sister a, uh, a playhouse. I mean, I'm talking a room about this size. So you know, she could go out and do her thing. Well, when she left, uh, I asked my father if he could convert it to a laboratory. And now, uh, um, so what does that mean? In the back of the comic books in those days, you could actually buy test tubes and flasks and things like that, and they would give me chemistry kits for, for Christmas. He actually put a uh, butane heater in the room, let me buy a butane torch, bless his heart, uh, so I could actually heat up things. So, you know, the science thing was a big part of what I was about. So, um, anyhow, I put that 
on the back burner because um, I was too scared when I went to medical school. So I said, well, uh, I think I need to focus on medical school. Uh, I thought about um, you know, um, enrolling in an MD-PhD program at the time, but didn't do it because I was just too chicken. Uh, but anyhow, so that set the science part back just a bit. Uh, but, uh, you know, what was the motivation for medical school? It was the opportunity to do science, and then a mentor, advisor, told me, well, you know, if you're interested in service, which was big to me, you can go to medical school. That way you can care for patients, do the service piece, and also do research and pursue innovation. So that was attractive. So then that's medical school. And then I put research on the back burner for a while, but then I applied to surgical residency training programs with the idea that there might be a chance to... Um, uh, pursue research training. And so where I uh, went to, uh, uh, where I did my surgical training, I actually spent two years as a research fellow. Uh, and then loved it so much, uh, did another two years after I finished my surgical training. And then I was in the academic, uh, you know, institution in Boston and um, laboratory work was a big part of it. So kind of that, that gets us to that point. And then what would happen is um, folks would ask if you want to do something like, do you want to run this laboratory? Sure. Uh, do you want to run this metabolic support service? I'd be honored. How can I help? And that just led to the progression. So what are you most proud of? Uh, these questions are always challenging for me because I always struggle. You know, is that a, a, what am I proud of personally or what am I proud of professionally? And then Usually when I say that, people say, well, whatever definition you want to use. So to me, I, I'm proud of, uh, you know, family, uh, great family, great kids, great grandkids. Uh, they're healthy. They're happy. I think at the end of the day, that's, that's, that says a lot. Uh, now, professionally, um, I think what I would hope is that if you talk to people I have worked with over my career, they will say that, uh, that Dr. Jacobs, Danny, has contributed in some way. Uh, substantially to our efforts as a team or uh, to our institutional uh, efforts. So I, I think that's what people will say. I hope that's what they would say, and I would be very proud of that. So what do you like to do outside of work? Uh, so I'm a, I like the outdoors. Uh, so uh, I like, uh, I'm an avid cyclist, uh, try to ride at least once outdoors every weekend. Uh, I had the, you know, I got the whole setup in the office, an indoor trainer and on Zwift and those kind of things that keep me moving uh, during the week. But riding outside is uh, really, really fun to me. Uh, I like to fish, grew up fishing with my mother, uh, but uh, evolved into fly fishing in cold water streams and so I enjoy that. And, uh, but just about anything that's outdoors. My, uh, my wife likes to hike, I like to hike as well, so we're looking forward to the opportunity to, to explore the great outdoors. Well, it sounds like you found the perfect place to go. Um, <laughs> she, looked about, she looked at all this before I was even allowed to look. <laughs> You've done your research. Uh, so last question, yeah. what does this appointment as president of OHSU mean to you? Well, I think uh, the, the opportunity is profound. The opportunity here to contribute at a higher level, to have impact, which is important to me, on the whole state of Oregon. This idea of uh, OHSU being about the health and well-being of Oregonians is very appealing. So th that appointment means there's a tremendous obligation and duty and responsibility, but at the same time, the rewards would be profound. So to me, it's all upside. The ability to do something that's always been meaningful to me, to work with uh, great individuals, of which there are many, and then at the end of the day, in real time, same thing I've talked about, to be able to say, yes, I helped, or we worked together to actually make things better. That would be uh, very attractive to me. Well, thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. OHSU Week is a production of Strategic Communications. This episode was produced by me and edited by Josh Anderson. 
I'm Patrick Holmes. See you next week.